Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bono, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go. So today my guest is Larry Sims. He's an author, screenwriter, and film director known for his work on Off the Grid and Off the Grid 2. He struggled uh, with the dyslexia as a child and overcame those challenges to pursue his passion in the film industry. We'll talk about filmmaking uh, and his journey. Thank you for joining us, Larry. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Let's start with a bit of a background. Tell me a little bit about yourself um, and how did you get to Off the Grid? Wow. Um, being that I'm 66 years old, it's been a long journey. Um, <laughs> I, I'm in um, excellent health. Um, I, I take really good care of myself. Uh, I, uh, that's one reason why I'm here today. Uh, it helps me to keep a very, very positive attitude, which you have to have here in the film industry. If you don't have that, it's very tough to, to do anything in the business. Um, <clears throat> I, um, uh, I, I mean, when I, I had a very tough time growing up as a kid, um, uh, I was a victim of um, uh, at the hands of a, a much older cousin of mine in, in a barn when I was a kid. And uh, that, that weighed heavy on my mind when I was a young kid, but I, I've overgrown that and uh, uh, gone beyond it. But the, the, another thing that was really very difficult for me was dis- like I was dyslexic. Uh, and Well, you never do lose your dyslexia. I just learned how to cope with being dyslexic. Uh, I'm, I'm Pretty gifted writer now, you know. Considering all uh, uh, off the grid, you know, I, you know, I, I wrote the narration for it. I've, I've written four books. So <clears throat> over time, I have uh, just had to work. I work have to work ten times as hard as the average person does to uh, to, to be really good at uh, writing and, and and reading and comprehension. So it's been a, it's been a long challenge, but <clears throat> I've noticed. Uh, you know, that the technology that we have today, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, like Grammarly and all the different programs mm. that are like Grammarly, uh, you know, you know, I, I had learned how to write pretty well for that. But, it, you know, it's just a, another tool that makes it even easier for me now uh, to be able to have a without having to hire somebody to edit my work or look at it. Uh, I'll wash it through Grammarly or other similar platforms. And, and uh, it really, really does help. But um, moving on to the film, um, how I got into uh, uh, making film was my wife was uh, at home one day and she saw this advertisement on, on, on one, I believe it was on Nextdoor. Nextdoor is a popular site for people who want to keep up what's going on in the local community. And uh, they said they were looking for people to, to interview about hope and happiness uh, mm-hmm. for a documentary film. And my wife said, you should apply for that because, you know, you, you've written these books, you know, and you've got a really, really interesting story to tell everything that you've been through throughout your life. Mm. Um, so I sent an email and then a week or so later, I got a phone call from, from a guy whose guy's name was Jack. And um, uh, we talked for a little bit. He said, well, I'd like to interview you for the film. I said, okay, great. He said, well, I'll be to your house and so you know, we, so we set up a date. So I was expecting a guy to come in with a with a you know camera or something. They showed up with a with an eight man 
film crew at my house. Oh. <laughs> uh, lights, sound, makeup, the whole thing. I was I was really kind of blown away by this size crew coming for this interview. And uh, the the, um, uh, the name of the film, uh, and it's out now. I have I have seen it, but you know, interesting thing once you get into film, you know, and you make them, you really get tired of watching your stuff. You, you always <laughs> want to move on to the next. It's out there, but I have no idea where Finding Happiness. I think it's on the Lifetime Channel. Maybe I'm one, one of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not sure where it is, but it's out there somewhere, you know, in one of the streaming services or subscription services. So there's so many of them now. But um, when Jack, after we got through with the interview that evening, Jack asked me, um, um, you know, I asked, I, you know, I actually brought up to Jack that I had an idea to make a film. And, uh, uh, of course, you know, he was kind of listening to me, you know, you know, and I'm sure he gets a lot of that. And uh, he's, he's, he's director. He's been in Hollywood for 12, 13 years. And but he agreed to have a cup of coffee. Uh, and so about two weeks later, we sat down and had a cup of coffee. And I, and I told him about I had I this idea about making a film about off the grid, the not not a do it, how to do off the grid living, about the philosophy of off the grid living it was my story. Mm. I mean, there's a million people out there doing stories about how to do off-grid, how to build a solar system, how to how to build your house. And do I know how to do all those things? Sure. But it's, it's you know, the internet is overrun and, and film and do documentaries are overrun with that. So I want to talk about the philosophy. So he, he liked the concept. So uh, we made a deal and uh, it was in early April of 2021. We shot a, shot a TV, we shot a pilot for the show trying to generate some interest in it. And uh, so it didn't, um, um, you know, it didn't kind of take it first. Uh, I'm just doing the pod trying to generate revenue parts. So I decided to self-fund it. And then, um, so um, I raised the money uh, myself. And then, in this, um, then one of the most interesting things that happened was is uh, Jack, um, uh, got sick and he's 35 years old. He got very, very ill. And mm. he was my only, he was my only contact at that point. And, uh, and I lost contact with him for a couple of weeks and I'm in the middle of trying to get this film made. And, and then eventually he tells me that he has a heart condition. And uh, mm. he says, Larry said, I, I'm not going to be able to do this right now. If you're going to do it. And he knew I had some talent with behind the camera and, and you know, I'm a very resourceful guy. So you're going to have to do this yourself. You, we've talked about it. you're going to you're going to have to to uh, go out and uh, you, you have to get the equipment and camera equipment and everything, and you're going to have to film this yourself. And he said, uh, and so ultimately, I found out that he he had to have a heart valve replacement. He was quite ill; he almost passed. I mean, he was very obviously very young. And so I went. I said, I told my wife, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I said, I'm, so I went out and bought the camera equipment, everything I needed, and lighting and everything, and. Uh, I hired one other guy to help me with the lighting and stuff. And so I just go out and I'll start doing the interviews myself. And I said, no, we'll figure out how we're going to get to market afterwards. I said, I said either I'm making the most expensive uh, home movie in history or else it's going to be a financial success. We'll just have to see. And so uh, I spent about the next uh, four months uh, doing 52 interviews in four states. And then by that time, um, you know, I, you know, I, I was able to get a few emails to Jack. He was, you know, he had had surgery, had had a heart valve replacement. <clears throat> and he said, um, you have to work with my, my partner, Alex, on doing the editing. But I, I'd had 
editing experience and a lot of experience with this kind of software. So I uh, got a very, very sophisticated computer system and I started editing the film myself. I'd actually done it. And so uh, it was um, it was something that, uh, believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, but, um, <laughs> you know, I had, in years gone by, uh, been in the, in the cabinet business and cabinet uh, cabinet uh, design software is very similar, believe it or not. <laughs> I think I'm crazy when I say that. Similar to uh, when you're dealing with editing software. And the reason why I knew it was because I'd done some editing, you know, of, of, of small films that I'd done, not, nothing to this size. And I said, wow, that's kind of like the way you do it in the cab. You know, it's, you know, it's pushing buttons and getting things done and having some creativity to it. So uh, I worked on it and did all the rough edit. And I got Alex involved. And then Alex helped me with the, the final edit uh, or the, the, the finish edit. And then Jack finally got well enough again. And then he did the, the, the finishing touches on the film. And um, so the uh, when we got down to the point where we were done with the film, and then we went to marketplace with it. And uh, Jack had relationships with a number of independent distribution companies. Uh, so we sent the film out to about 25 companies. Seven of them responded and wanted the film. Uh, the one that I went with was uh, the one that I always wanted, which was Gravitas Ventures. They're a very, very well-known uh, docu- uh, uh, indie film. They, they do mainstream and, and uh, they do uh, uh, they do uh, indie film and mainstream as well. Um, they, uh, they've been quite successful. But they only do about 300 they only pick up about 300 films a year, so they don't take everything. So, mm. so yeah, uh, the, the film went in distribution uh, August of uh, this August 2022, and uh, revenues have been pretty good. Um, I'm uh, it's it's on uh, video demand services uh, pretty much exclusively up until about the last uh, the last month, and they've started putting on subscription services now. So viewership's going up quite a bit. You know, it's a, you know, you'd be surprised how many people are hesitant to spend three or four bucks to rent a film or pay eight or nine bucks to buy it. And, uh, the film's the film's done much better on uh, on the subscription services than on video demand. So yeah, that's hmm. uh, that's the first film I got. I have three other films that are uh, ones um, uh, in post production right now. We should have it ready. It's actually a it's actually a a, a TV pilot. It's called Fabrication Nation. We shot it here in Vegas about all the people involved in the entertainment industry, who um, uh, the people that make it happen, who build the people who build the stages, and build mm. the props, and uh, the, oh, the designers. And, uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that that one that will be out marketplace probably in May, and then Off the Grid Two is being filmed. Um, right, it's just about finished, but we've decided to add some footage. Um, a lot of your viewers probably have heard of the TV show alone. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's on the History Channel. It's in its ninth season. Uh, they, they take participants out into the wilderness and drop them off, and they're actually there for real by themselves until the last man standing. And and um, I thought it'd be interesting to interview one of those guys about what their thoughts would be on us through living. And I'm talking to uh, to two of the uh, uh, I, I'd rather not say who they are, but two of the uh, mm-hmm. uh, got two of the guys who won, um, you know, out of that nine years, two of the guys who won who expressed an interest in, in uh, participating in, in off the grid too. So 
Uh, one of the guys is up in somewhere in Alaska and the other guys in Montana. So we were uh, planning on June, uh, picking up some footage with those guys about their off the grid experience and adding it to off the grid too. So that's exciting. Uh, they're, they're quite big. One of these, uh, one of these gentlemen has actually been on Joe Rogan, uh, talking about his experience on off the grid, or excuse me, on uh, the TV show alone. Hmm. So yeah, I've, I've talked to both these guys two or three times, and they're, they're, they're willing to participate. And I'm excited about that. So yeah, that okay. and, uh, there's one other that's been developed uh, about the Kairos prison industry. I'm working on that uh, with the uh, the Kairos International people. Uh, so yeah, a lot of different stuff going on. Wonderful. And let's talk a little bit more about off the grid, like. Have you yourself done that? You said you well, the film is focused more on the philosophy rather than the you know technicalities of how to do it. Why that of all things? Like how, how did you get to that? When I was a kid, I grew up watching uh, uh, Davy Crockett and uh, you know uh, uh, Daniel Boone on black and white TV here in the U.S. Uh, and I, I was fascinated with the mountains from the time I was a, uh, a small child. And I, started hiking in the mountains after I was a young adult. I took a job in California. I was living in Hermosa Beach, California. For, I lived there for about five years. And when I first got there, I was kind of bored. You know, I, you know, I'd go to the beach, you know, and hang out, you know, with, you know, with people I was meeting and everything. But I always had this thing in the back of my mind. I wouldn't have a cab in the mountains. So I, uh, I couldn't afford one back then. Didn't even know where I was going to build her house, didn't afford it, or where it was going to be. But I would go to the library and I would get sketching paper and a ruler and a pencil and I would draw draw plans of the cabin that uh, that I had in my mind that I wanted to build one day. And uh, and I'm quite good at that. I had experience being a home builder at one point in my life. And so, yeah, I can draw blueprints and stuff. So I, um, I did that. I did that. I drew, drew it several different ways, but uh, that was in the uh, that was in the late eighties, and uh, so I, I kept those blueprints all those years. And then um, I um, I had been married and divorced uh, in the eighties, and didn't remarry until two thousand. And uh, after my wife and I ma- uh, married, um, uh, we've been married for twenty two years this year. Um, I have two daughters from prior marriage, but. Uh, um, but you know, now I have two daughters from this marriage, and they're, they'll actually be uh, uh, 13 this Friday, uh, my, my twins, my twin girls. <laughs> but uh, we decided to, uh, um, uh, we were going to find some property, and build this cabin I've been talking about. <laughs> and so we uh, got up on a Sunday morning in 2004, <clears throat> and we found out, we looked around for quite some time, but we drove to Utah about four hours from where we live in Las Vegas. And uh, we found a piece of property, and I just fell in love with it. Bought the property, and 60 days later, we were building the cabin. And uh, so I built the cabin myself. I, I had the foundation put in, but after that, I went vertical with the cabin. Um, I, I have a lot of skills, carpentry, plumbing, electrical. So I built the place myself, and that's it's, the cabin's been there, what, 18, 19 years now? And, wow. of course, uh, we we. You know, we'll start we start going in in April, but I just fell in love with the wilderness and always wanted it. And my cabin is completely off the grid. Uh, there's no power there. There's no water. Uh, I built a built a solar system myself. Uh, I harvest water off the roof or rainwater. I have very, very large underground storage tanks. And during the winter, the, the, 
the snow comes and it melts and it goes in the tank and we run it through filtration systems and we have to use satellite for telephone uh, and for internet there. So, yeah, it's uh, it was a lifelong dream to have it from the time I was a little kid. Hmm. And do you feel, I think it kind of coincides with the pandemic that heightened interest uh, of people. How do you feel that's changed and do you feel that will stay people being more and more interested in, in um, like you said, the philosophy of, of being off the grid? Yeah, that's what, yeah, you, you, you we never get into the meat but what off the grid's about. Um, you, you know, when I went out uh, to think about it, I wasn't sure where the story was going to take us. We, we had an idea. Uh, we would do interviews, and like me, they weren't really all that interested in doing it. Most of them, some of them did, had skills like I did. They, they just, they knew how to build and they just went out and did it. It wasn't that big a deal to them. I mean, was it fun doing it? Yeah. Yeah, it was fun, but it was not something I wanted to explain to people how to do. But the conversation kept going back to, well, why are you, why did you choose to live off the grid? Some people were like me, just wanted to have a place in the woods. You know, I, I didn't have a political agenda about it. But as we continued to interview people, uh, we were interviewing people from far left perspectives, uh, perspectives uh, far right perspectives. And I had everything from preppers to guys who, want the world to uh, want to think that uh, human beings are a blight on the planet, need to be eliminated from the planet, going off the grid. Uh, um, I, I interviewed a psychiatrist who was advocating for the uh, the end of human rights. Uh, oh, wow. He said that uh, we, we're destroying the earth and we have no right to do it and we need to be eliminated from the earth. Um, what was one of the most interesting things about him was is uh, he was advocating for this and he was talking about how everybody needs to drive electric cars. And I'm a proponent of electric cars. Don't get me wrong. I think, I, you know, particularly if you live in Las Vegas and you're getting your power from the Hoover Dam, it makes sense. But if you're, if you're hooking up to the power grid and you got a, it's a coal powered plant and you're running mm -hmm. a vehicle from a coal powered plant, I, I don't really see the benefit there yet, mm -hmm. but I, I certainly want to go down this road for renewables. I, okay. I think you can't eliminate fossil fuels, but, he was talking about, you know, everybody should drive a, uh, they should drive electric cars and they should, have, uh, they should, uh, you know, start trying to use more solar panels and quit using fossil fuel. And I'm not making this up. You can't even make up something like this. He drove up to the interview in a diesel Mercedes. <laughs> oh, I'm not joking. In a diesel Mercedes and he's just ranting and raving. It's he's an author. Uh, he didn't talk. He didn't talk. You know, there was, I was very kind to him in the editing process. But uh, he uh, he was talking about how we all need to. Get, and I agree. But you know, it's little in any he owned five homes. Three of them were off the grid, and two of them were city homes. Uh, one is in and he's just him, and his, he had a son who I believe was also. So why does he need five homes? You know, I mean, I have to. I'm fine with having to, you know. We have our <laughs> place in Utah. We have our home here in Las Vegas. But why does anybody need five if you're advocating for the things he was doing? So that was interesting. Then on the other end, excuse me. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, preppers, uh, uh, you know, people getting, getting ready, building bunkers. I, there was a guy up in, uh, up in Utah who was building a big, giant bunker. Um, underground bunker right next to his off the grid cabin. And, you know, he was just, uh, I just 
said, I'm just being prepared in case something crazy happens. I got the money. So I built this uh, concrete dome bunker that's made out of six inch thick concrete, six inch thick concrete. And then he covered it in dirt, built big giant steel doors on it. It's like, like something you see, you know, uh, you know, in Colorado mountains, you know, at NORAD. Uh, it was, uh, it was really interesting. Good guy. And very mm. successful um, guy. So he was civil engineer. He knew how to do all that stuff. So it was very interesting mm. what he was building. And but a lot of the people I were interviewing were doctors. Was, uh, I was probably the least educated person that was in the film. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I have I, I have quite a bit of college that I didn't finish. I'm pretty educated, but uh, but you know, I have three or four engineers, three or four doctors, uh, one chemical engineer, uh, one electrical engineer. I was one guy was a solar solar energy expert in Alaska who interviewed um, uh, and who I've kind of I've got to be friends with these you know live far from him you know a lot of these people that I've, I interviewed are, are now friends of mine that since mm. I'm going to be up so much in common so so uh, they their 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 philosophy is to, to be prepared for in case the world yeah. is crazy uh, that I think you know, we're not far off it. <laughs> the, the the more you think about it, the more like I think the yeah the maybe it comes with age. I don't know the older I get, the more I think uh, it's not it's not actually that crazy of an idea to 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 be prepared for everything. It does it does seem like yeah we, we live in. I mean, time. I have uh, I have I have uh, you know I have twenty five year food stores, you know, uh, but uh, you know, and <clears throat> do we have a we have a plan of things gets crazy in the world? do here in vegas to you know, we, we would certainly be heading to our place in utah which is in the middle of nowhere you know to, mm. to get away from it um but you know we're you know we're i think we're kind of center on you know myself and my family kind of center on that subject but i don't i think it's always a good idea to have because you know during covid the food shortages we had here in the mm. united states was a, was a big deal i mean mm. you know, the supply chain issues and uh and so a, a lot of people uh, are that way. Um, some of the other people that, that I that I interviewed uh, uh, and that I and I was talking to one of the one of the really good sources of information. So I interviewed three real estate brokers who mm. were in the canal who were in the canal Utah area near you know so within fifty miles of my cabin. They, they had people calling up from all over the country during COVID and mm. and dur- during the riots that were going on in. You know, up in Seattle and Portland, and you know all the craziness with uh, with, with all that. You know, and this, the riots and all. People were really, really terrified. Looked mm. probably in rural areas, and they were calling up these realtors and, and wanting to know that whether well, you have any property for sale. And it's the middle of the. This was in the middle of the winter, and there's quite a bit of snow on the ground uh, in 2020 when most of this was going on. They were they said, "Well, can we rent snowmobiles and go and sit in the middle of the winter?" No, <laughs> can't do that. And uh, but there was a um, you know there was there's been a run on on off the grid property big time mm. where my where my property is I'm not going to tell you where it is uh, but uh, I will tell you it's in the Bryce Canyon area and there's a, there's a uh, the community where I am there's 320 acre parcels where my my property is located and when I bought back in 2004 there were uh, three out of the 300 lots there was 150 of them for sale. Mm. Uh, today, I know for a fact because I have, you know, I talk to my, I have buddies that I've talked to all the time in Utah. Uh, you know, they're, you know, that sell real estate and, and stuff. And uh, 
they are um, um, they're telling me that right now, uh, 18 years ago, there was 150 lots, and that property had been around for 30 or 40 years. Nobody, you know, people just wouldn't, mm. wouldn't buy it. I was just so remote. Today, there's one lot to sell on that. On that on oh, that wow. One. And, it's, and, it, and it's absolutely a hole in the ground. Like, entire 20 acres is nothing but a hole in the ground, and they're still trying mm. to get top dollar for it. But property is uh, going to, you know, quadrupled or more uh, on, on where my property is. Uh, Mm-hmm. And that's true all over the country uh, in all the off-grid places. There, um, you know, there's, there's a real shortage of this kind of uh, of property across mm-hmm. the country, and uh, I, I don't see that changing for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. So, yeah, people are scared, and they, they want to have a place to go in case the cities mm-hmm. disintegrate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also made people with the COVID. It also made people realize, like that is actually doable all of that you know you can't work from a distance it's important to be you know in the center of the city it it, it made us all realize that it's not only doable not you know just chasing that but it's also actually nice you know to 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 have more nature around to to be a bit more detached from you know all the screens and all that so that's also a factor that's still my primary motivation. I like being around wildlife. There's a bear, mountain lion, elk all around mm. my place. Uh, and uh, I've, I've done a lot of long distance hiking in my life. I've been in bear country and I have no fear of that. Uh, I mean, I do, I, I'm not crazy, but I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I know they're there, you know, but, uh, and I've, I've come across bears in the woods and they always run. I've never had, <laughs> I've never came across a mountain lion in the woods though. That's not, not something I've come across yet. So, but elk, mm. I'm, I'm I'm probably more scared of the elk than I am the bear. <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny. Yeah, I think people are less predictable than animals. So, like, if if you would make the list, I think I'd be more scared of people than of animals. I agree. I agree. <laughs> you have to. It can be. Yeah. Uh, Particularly in this day and age, I mean, when when I was a kid, uh, everybody always goes back and talks about what things were when they was a kid. But uh, when I was a kid, I mean, the kind of stuff that goes on now, it just didn't. when I when I was a kid, I did uh, the, the high school that I went to. Uh, I uh, we actually had a course called gun cleaning uh, gun cleaning course on how to clean your gun. It was like a shock okay. course, and we would you know, and and when I was a kid growing up. You know, we lived in a, I lived in a, a rural area of Mississippi, uh, hometowns, about 42,000 people. And, and it was a very rural area. And we would, uh, w- during, the, during the fall is when it would be bird season, dove season, quail, or, you know, and squirrel season. And a lot of the guys like me, we would take our shotguns to school and put it. We'd ha- I had a pickup truck when I was in high school, and I put my shotgun in the gun rack and uh, leave it in the truck. And uh, nobody ever told anything about it. This is in the ni- early 1970s. And, uh, mm. and then during gun cleaning class, you would see students walking into the school with their shotgun in their hand, walking down the aisle to go to the class where they, they were going to instruct them on how to clean shotgun. Could you imagine that happening now? Oh, wow. Oh, I mean, that, that would go horribly wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, they would be they would be put in a mental institution for, until they were 50. You know, kids did that now. Uh, but it's, it was nothing we even, just this kind of things didn't happen when I was a kid. The world was a, it was a much 
you know, chiller bus, you know, in the United States anyway, I'm doing certain part of the world, I'm sure what, but, but mm. we didn't think anything about it. I mean, we thought, you know, why would we do things any differently? But now, mm. there was a, my wife is actually a school teacher here in Las Vegas, has been years. She teaches to the middle school. Mm. She teaches sixth grade life science. And they, I mean, they had an emergency at school that a kid, Bertie, a took the Western Revolver to school. And uh, I mean, they shut down the school. I mean, it was like the SWAT team came out. I mean, you know, they would, you know everything was shut down. Uh, mm. This happened only about two weeks in, uh, at my wife's school. So, yeah, totally different world we live in today, here in, particularly yeah. here in Vegas. Yeah, I think it's it's everywhere. Well, let's let's just wrap up with um, we spoke about the film, and then you have quite a bit of experience with. Um, you, you said you have even two more films in the making. What would be your advice to to people who are just starting out and thinking about starting out in the film industry now? Um. You know, I was very fortunate that I was able to meet Jack. And, of course, I was older in life and had, uh, you know, I'm not a wealthy man, but I had money to put in the film. And if you don't have any money and you just want to get involved with film, um, Jack, Jack, um, he actually uh, has a degree in quantum physics that he got well, from, well, a, I forget the name of the university, but he's, he's, he's from New York, he's from New York State, but in Ithaca area. And uh, his name, I'll go ahead and tell you his name. Maybe you guys will get in touch with him. His name is Jack Skyler. He's all IMDb pages everywhere, just like mine. Uh, Jack's had a very long history. Uh, but um, he, uh, after he finished school and he did quite well in quantum physics, he realized that nobody was ever going to, he said, nobody's going to fund any of the things that I want to do in quantum physics. Mm-hmm. He said, I'll never be able to express myself the way I want to. So, so the next best thing for me Quite literally, it was to go into film so I could get this. Huh. He's, he's a very, very creative guy. And so he actually moved out to L.A. and he couldn't get a job. So he finally met a guy on the movie set at one of the studios. And he actually convinced the guy to let Jack said, I had some money saved up. So I said, I will pay you if you let me come on the set and let me just watch. And you guys teach me and I will pay you. Like it's, you know, it's an internship, but I'm paying. So he had to pay for his first job on a Hollywood movie <laughs> that way, and he paid. And uh, and of course, he, he his first job was uh, he was a cameraman, uh, and that's how he got started. My 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 path was much different. I was 60, 60, 63 or sixty three or sixty four when I decided I was going to start doing this. It's only been two three two three the last two three years, and uh, of course. It does help if you have money to get in the film. You, mm. I, you know, at first I, I did everything. I was I was the cameraman. Uh, I was directing. I was uh, producing. I was doing the sound, everything. And after off the grid, I decided I didn't do it. So I just produce films now, and uh, and I, and I'm always looking for new stories. Um, I'm working uh, working on a deal right now, uh, trying to convince a guy to let us. Uh, make a movie about the, the, his life. Who uh, this guy who was a uh, uh, who was a bank robber, and um, hmm. he, uh, he 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 got involved with uh, he got involved with the prison ministry, in uh, in Pennsylvania, 
Uh, he was got, he got arrested in New York. He went to a federal penitentiary in Pennsylvania, supposed to be in for 25 years. Got involved in the prison ministry and uh, decided he was going to turn his life over to the Lord. And I'm, I'm not Bible thumping here, but this is the story. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I mean, I have my own belief system, but I'm not trying to push anything on anybody. But uh, but he uh, decided that, that, you know, you know, he had to turn his life around. And so he got out. He got out early. And as soon as he got out, he's very, very articulate, very, very smart man uh, and decided to start a prison ministry right here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, I'd rather not say his name, but uh, he and I are working together on a, on a, on a, on a prison ministry thing. And we're, we're, we're going to be doing an interview with him uh, for Kairos in the next nine days. But uh, we are going to have a discussion with him about, we'd like to make a film about, a, a film about his life, like a lifetime movie film mm. about his life. It's a really, really super compelling, interesting story. And the success that he's achieved is remarkable. So he's, he's really, mm. I look for those kind of stories. But finding stories and in, in, in finding funding is, it's, uh, you, you gotta find. You gotta have find interesting stories. You gotta find something somebody's interested in, in, in viewing or uh, are learning about to make the film. But money's money's the big deal. You gotta have the money. You don't have the money. You gotta work your way through the ranks. Mm. So you might have to pay somebody to let them let you work. Mm. Yeah, that, that was quite creative. <laughs> yeah. That was a, that, that was an interesting way. Yeah, Jack was about 23, 24 when he did that in single, so he could do something like that. But mm. you know, I, I have four daughters and a wife. That's you know, I, I, you know, when I was young, I couldn't have done that. No. Mm. Wonderful. Well, that's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll include all the links to to where people can reach out to you. Uh, with with their stories or, or with money? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not really shopping for money. Uh, you know, I mean, if somebody wants to come to me with an idea, I'm happy to listen to it. Uh, we're, we're moving people to know, you know, what it is I do. And, I, you know, I hope people will watch my movies. That's really what I'm hoping to accomplish. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Larry. It's been a pleasure. So yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.